0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have a couple of guests joining us who I'm going to let Maddie introduce because she is the one that kind of made the connection between us and them to bring them onto this episode. We had a really great conversation. Maddie, what do we got?
1: Yeah, so today we are sitting down with Jessica McClooney and Corinne Newfie, both of whom work on the Today's Farmed Fish campaign, which you can find at today'sfarmedfish.org. So Jess is the campaign director for today's Farmed Fish. So she does a lot of the strategy behind it. And Corinne is the content and relationships manager for the campaign. So she does all of the research, articles on the website and their social media channels. So both of them play a really important role in this really important campaign all about education and advocacy for responsibly farmed fish, which is very much aligned with what we do here at GAA. So we had an amazing conversation with them. I don't want to hold us up from getting to the actual conversation. So keep listening and you'll hear how great it was.
0: That's right. But before we do that, make sure that you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts right now so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device to listen whenever you want. Follow us on social at Pod. Uh, If you want to contact us, there's a few ways
2: you can do that. Email podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or go to our website, aquaculturealliance.org. Scroll halfway down to the Aquademia section and there is a contact
0: us button.
1: And if you could rate and review us on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, please go ahead and do that because it helps out our show a lot.
0: That's right. That's how we get up those charts and just build this community of seafood lovers. So without any further ado, like Maddie said, this is an awesome episode. So Please take the time to listen through the whole thing. I guarantee and, you will yeah, enjoy Yeah, listen
1: it. through the whole thing because the end is where it gets good.
0: Yep. All right. So with that, we will talk to you at the end.
3: Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast.
2: Our diet...
1: So we are sitting down with Jessica McClooney and Corinne Newfie today, and both of these lovely ladies are actually a part of our membership program at GAA. They're both strategic partners of GAA, and they're both doing some really incredible stuff in the realm of education and advocacy for sustainable and responsible seafood. So we are so excited to have you sitting down with us today. And to kick things off, I think it would be great if each of you could just give a little background on who you are, what you do, what what you're passionate about, and then we can kind of get more into what your organizations do.
3: Sure. Thanks for having us. Uh, so uh, my name's Jessica, and uh, for the past uh, five or six years, I have been working in the seafood industry, uh, both as uh, corporate sustainability um, officers, as well as uh, a little bit of fish procurement. Um, so I, I, I do have some experience sitting in the seat of both buying the fish and then, you know, matching the sourcing of that fish to, you know, how responsible it is and, and kind of uh, formulating and improving the supply chain relationship. Um, before that, I was uh, at the University of Washington as a researcher, did some tuna uh, socioeconomics research. And um, before that, I was a fisheries observer in Alaska on fishing boats and commercial fishing vessels. And um, way back. That must have been interesting. That was, uh, on my resume, the line says it was an austere environment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how many people in this industry start out as fisheries observers. I know when I was graduating college, I studied aquaculture fishery tech at University of Rhode Island. When I was finishing up there, a huge chunk of my peers ended up doing that because one of the professors had some connection with one of the fishing industries in the area. And they're like, we can, we can hook everyone up with a job when you graduate and everyone starts off as an observer. And that you hear that over and over again when we interview people, it's interesting.
3: It's a, an awesome way to kind of navigate the whole, like you can't get a job without experience and you can't get experience without a job thing. But also Mm -hmm. I found it gave me like hella street cred, uh, you know, in toughens. Totally. Yeah. So I, it was definitely, uh, an experience that I value a lot for just in a lot of different ways. Um, so that was definitely, that was fun. And uh, so way back when I got a master's degree from Dalhousie in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in uh, fisheries management. So I'm heavily steeped in wild fisheries and uh, most of my work experience, as well as my education. Uh, and it's only really been in the past few years since I have worked in industry, especially uh, in the Asian shrimp industry where i've been exposed to all things aquaculture and gotten really interested from there
0: cool corinne hit us with it what do you got um
4: so i am currently in my last quarter of graduate school at the university of washington in the marine last quarter yeah last quarter last month actually
0: it's coming you see the light
4: i do i am so excited um yeah in the school of marine and environmental affairs Um, Where I've been working on this research project, um, as well as a capstone project with NOAA building a marine spatial analysis tool for kelp aquaculture site selection, um, which we just finished up and was super fun, went really well. Um, And... Yeah, prior to that, I was at Seattle University doing my undergrad in biology, and I was studying fish food web ecology in the Mekong in Cambodia, and um, it was through that experience that I Realized that science is awesome, research is awesome, but it's the science communication part that I was really excelling at and also seeing a huge uh, lack of science communication in so many classes and so many jobs that uh, I was experiencing, which is one of the main reasons that I decided to do this master's program at UW.
0: Cool, and she's also, she may not know this yet, but she Corinne is also telling every single one of her classmates that are in this same major to listen to academia on a regular basis.
4: Oh, yeah, well, I, I do already do that, anyways.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, let, let's talk about. Um, so before we got on this call, I had to send a message to Maddie and I said, Okay, Maddie, explain this to me because, like what company, what, what, what's the different companies, what's the campaign, how, do, how does everything work together? And Maddie gave me a little brief rundown, but you guys are kind of work coming from different angles coming together for a, a joint mission. Can you explain kind of that setup and and what and introduce what that mission is?
3: Sure. So, the link is when I worked as a researcher at UW. Uh, so, when after that, I went off to industry for a little bit. Uh, I kept in touch with uh One of the professors who ended up being the lead and principal investigator for this project that we're doing, um, Dr. Chris Anderson, he's the fisheries economist at University of Washington in their fisheries building. And uh, from time to time, we would just get back together and have bar talks. Um, And so uh, we kind of stayed like-minded and when it came time to, you know, pitch uh, some grant writing, we kind of, you know, we started pulling at the the thread on the sweater that eventually became this campaign. Uh, but at the time that happened, I was self-employed. And so essentially I was written into this grant as a subcontractor to be basically the project um, lead and campaign director. Um, and so that's why McClooney Seafood Strategies is working so closely with University of Washington. Um, and what happened was we wrote a C grant, a NOAA sea grant, to um essentially launch and uh, have built a PR campaign that is based in Seattle around um promoting positive messaging of farmed fish.
0: Um That's quite a Yeah,
3: let me say that again, <laughs> you guys in Seattle, It's pretty bold. <laughs> decided it was going to be a good idea to uh, tell consumers that farm fish was okay. So um, we uh, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle, and uh, and we just figured if we could move the needle a little bit among the consumer perception at you know ground zero, then you know you could scale up or down based on the, you know, particular demographics and what was important to that ma- marketing audience in either different cities, different regions, etc.
0: But I think what's even more important is that the reason that we all are trying to get out this message of this positive message that aquaculture is good is really just because we love punishment and we love <laughs> just getting crapped on all the time, right? I mean, For
3: sure. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that, that's where the fun is and where the challenge is, yeah. right?
3: <laughs> um, so uh during some of these bar talks uh between chris and i you know we would kind of we would be like bewildered with each other we would constantly observe you know uh, like people in restaurants you remember when that was a thing eating in restaurants Um, (laughs) yeah throw
1: back to (laughs) that
3: (laughs) what a time to be alive Um, but, uh, you know, like we would both have separate, uh, like, you know, instances where we would hear people sort of ask about like, oh, is this fish taco farmed or wild? And if it was farmed, people would be like, oh, well, I'll just have the hamburger thinking they were choosing the sustainable option. And we were both just like, no, as like the scientists (laughs) in us were like, oh, this is no, we got to, something's broken here. And so, uh, we, we kind of started to think about, you know, it really seattle for sure but also just you know people seem to hold a very visceral like very guttural knee-jerk reaction like against farm fish and i think it was Mm -hmm. it's because there's a lot of imagery that's out there of you know uh it's just it's just negative energy sorry negative imagery um dirty ponds um pollution a lot you know um escapement events like things it's it's um you know, it's There's funny the topic about that to though. villainize. You know, like, it's yeah, like an oil it,
0: spill. It, it, exactly. It's funny because the, all that stuff exists for for land-based proteins as well. Absolutely. And every once in a while, something comes up, and people freak out for a moment, and then they go eat a cheeseburger or they go eat, you know, a, a big side of ham or something. Yeah. I don't understand where the disconnect is for that because
1: it's also funny, I do. I do. people, I, I people weigh so heavily
0: Sean. on on the the images that they see of fish farms but they're very it's almost easier to like set it to the side with the land-based proteins i don't go ahead justin uh
2: i believe it has to do with well one our geographical area the united states in general doesn't eat enough seafood so there's the comfort zone uh my (laughs) comfort zone growing up as a kid was land-based protein chicken for dinner beef for dinner uh seafood was at, is at that disadvantage because you may be introduced to it as a as a kid in the form of like f- fish sticks. So it's the other <laughs> if you you're you're getting messaging now of how, the positive benefits of eating seafood and so you know as as times kind of change we're trying to you know produce these positive messages to get more seafood into people's diets because of the the benefits but it's also a very sustainable protein in general uh I guess because of that disadvantage, and people are already skeptical to probably add different types of seafood or eat more seafood. If you hear something negative about it, it's really easy to stick to that top that that headline and use that as an excuse of "Nope, I'm going to stick with the beef and I'm going to stick with the chicken," even though th- that industry is also getting some of that negative press. Mm-hmm. But it's not deterring people because they're comfortable with it. At least that's that's my thoughts. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a good thought.
4: Yeah, I also feel, piggybacking on that, that people have, you can picture a land-based farm so easily. It's in, you know, kids' storybooks and just, like, on, I don't know, postcards or something. But, like, you know what a land-based farm looks like. You're familiar with it. But so many people cannot picture what a fish farm looks like um and there's just some types of fish farms to picture that it's just like a weird concept when you're thinking about eating fish you're thinking about the ocean and like coral reefs and like the beautiful like pacific northwest seas and you can't picture fish swimming around in a net or swimming around in like a land-based system um and also geographically too i think especially on the coasts more people especially on the west coast are more Averse to farmed fish, like I grew up in Colorado for 18 years, and I don't think I heard really anything negative about farmed fish. I had no idea that people were so averse to aquaculture until I moved out here to Seattle uh, seven years ago, and it, and it was just such a thing where it was like, don't touch the farmed fish.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And going back to the comfort zone with the the visions that people have of farmed land-based farms too, right? it's easy for people to picture a cow out in a pasture that like a grassy pasture, because the cow needs grass to eat and it's, it's just happens to be pretty. When you talk uh, just when you mentioned dirty water, you know, in these ponds and stuff, that's not appealing to us because we don't drink dirty water and we don't like to swim in dirty water. But there's a lot of species where like they live in brackish water. Like that is the environment Mm -hmm. that that animal needs to survive and be the healthiest that it can be. And so that water is not just dirty and sludgy and and full of, you know, human waste. It's actually like the right water parameters for that species. But that's a lack of understanding that we need to work on with consumers is like people just need to have a better understanding overall of how fish are raised and and how what they need to survive, to better understand the practices that happen at farms. So Sorry to kind of throw that tangent in there. You guys can go ahead and continue.
3: <laughs> no, I mean that, that it's all part and parcel of why we, you know, wanted to drive this project forward. So there's there's the land animal compatibility component. There's the you know cultural significance uh, and connection to wild fisheries. Um, that, I mean, there's just there's a lot going on there. That whole pastoral imagery of like the happy cow in the sunshine meadow and that being so much more familiar to us Americans. Um, we actually, uh, that theme came up so many times in our focus groups that we internally, uh, called that, um, warm glow. (laughs) And so we'll get, we'll touch on that later, but that that's a huge part of it.
0: Yeah. People don't like to picture the indoor warehouses full of pigs that are kind of all crammed together in small things and the slaughterhouses and all the, just the nasty stuff that is essential with farming. People just pretend that doesn't happen when it comes to those land farms because the right? they think of old McDonald. Yeah, I mean,
3: <laughs> so. I think that the the meat industry has has done a really good job controlling the messaging that they wish to see disseminated. And
0: mm-hmm. I think
3: because seafood is so fragmented, uh, and then there's also a, an argument that you could make that it we'd like to get away from farmed versus wild. You know, that's a whole other thing as well. So there's just some. There's there's not a whole lot of species of of um, you know, chicken. In yeah. terms of yeah, That's a that's a
0: topic that we touch on a lot yeah, on this podcast. Really so so if you're interested in the farm versus wild thing, go back check out some of the past episodes. We talk a lot about that.
1: Yeah. Thinking, yeah, I sure. think of like two major factors with this and one of them is exactly what you just said, the fragmentation in the mm-hmm. seafood industry because there are just so many species that are fished for and also farmed. There are so many compared to just cows, pigs, and chicken. Like it's it's such a different ball game. And what what was the other thing that I wanted to say? Oh, the other factor is that a lot of the news stories that stick with people about farmed fish that they hear about were accurate. 30 or 40 years ago. Yes. And yeah. And they just stick with them. And, there these and a lot of times they were confined
0: to a finite story that was one farm that did this one thing outlier. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's what's, you yeah. Know, feel and then exactly.
4: those just stick. Every time that I've had a conversation with family members about like what I'm doing in grad school or like, hey, I just launched, like, we just launched this website. Check it out. And they're like, farmed fish, but. Isn't there like dyes and poop water and antibiotics and <laughs> all of this stuff? And when I'm having conversations with these people. Those and- are the three things. Dyes, <laughs> poop water, and antibiotics.
0: The salmon dyeing thing is my my favorite. Yeah. I love when people bring that up to me because I'm like, all right. Let's go. I have so much I could talk about with the salmon dying.
4: Yeah. It's super interesting. It's like, I don't know. I feel like when I'm talking to people about it, I'm like, did we just time travel to like 1950 and you know, (laughs) like it's not, it's, it's 2021 things are totally different. And uh, Maddie, like you said, it's you hear one story, like one thing that is not so glamorous about aquaculture that happened in the past. And then that's like, you're fixated on that. And then it applies to all Forms of yeah fish farming, and they've made yeah,
0: some really sexy to the, headlines too, right? Like tilapia is worse than bacon is a really sexy headline that people remember. Yeah, So Doctor Oz. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I had to have a, a
2: family conversation, Ooh. an extended family conversation about that because <laughs> the family members really love tilapia but wouldn't eat it because of that headline. So I was like, well, let, sit down, I'm going to learn you something. <laughs> learn uh, you something today. Yeah, I'm gonna learn you something today. Uh,
3: to add on to what Corinne said a, a little bit, though, actually, I guess to what to what Maddie was saying, you know, it, some of these events to consumers' credit uh, were not that long ago. You know, we were we had the Cook Escapement around, you know, around these Seattle parts. What like 2017. 2017?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, a few, just a few years ago. Yeah,
3: so at the time that we did the focus groups in the summer of 2000. Nineteen, spring and summer 2019 that was fresh i mean that was mentioned several times and that was two years old by that point so i mean you know it's it's that how often do we still like drive by a gas station and think about um exxon valdez even and that happened when i was like five years old so um not even not to mention bp so it just these like very um you know uh catastrophic one-off events that kind of just like paint the waters black for, you know, the industry across the board, that's really hard to fight um, or, uh, you know, to neutralize.
0: The thing about that, though, is when there's like the escape happened, that was obviously a damage control nightmare for the industry, but it also opened up a lot of eyes to look at the industry, right? So it almost gives us an opportunity as the advocates for the industry, it gives us an opportunity to start talking about it with people who previously wouldn't listen, Right. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a horrible thing. It's a big blow to the industry's reputation, but it also is providing us an opportunity to start spreading more positive information. And so it's kind of like this double-edged thing. Obviously we would prefer it not to happen, (laughs) but, but I I think you can find some benefits in the, in the fact that it allowed an opportunity for more conversations about it.
3: Um, I do want to take the opportunity to point out though. We often say like industry. And this this is a big blanket term. And one of the reasons, personally, I wanted to uh, see this project move forward is, you know, I've been in, I've visited shrimp farms in several places, like across Thailand and Indonesia. And some of those farms, I would eat the shrimp at their pond, no problem. And some of them, I absolutely hands down would not. And the unfortunate part is as consumers at the grocery store, we're never going to get any more specific than product of Thailand. And so you just, you lose the story, you lose the connection, you lose um, a lot about the aspects that consumers are interested in, especially in the past, you know, few years um, about making that connection with their food. And so, you know, I, fully accept the reality in you know, the volume-based supply chain that we live in and the commodity market that we operate in, like that's never going to happen. But it just, you know, I, I think that taking steps to showcase the specific positive players and, you know, really spotlight their cutting edge, you know, ultra responsible practices, it really just starts to erode the barriers that are so easy to set up. Um, that we have, what that we've all done, I, myself included.
0: And, and it feels so good to do that. You know, we did. We we've been doing that with the BAP program here at GA is really trying to highlight a lot of those good players. And you know, they the BAP logo on the packaging shows you the plant number, so you can go back and do some traceability on that product. And when we highlighted Ideal Fish, I don't know if you guys saw that Ideal Fish video that yeah. we made. Justin and I and, and Elise, who's been on the show a number of times, we went out to to uh, Connecticut to film them there and they showed us the gill tags that they have you know so you can scan the QR code and see the whole history of the fish those are the kind of things that I agree we need to be highlighting that stuff because that's exactly the solution is that kind of traceability and that kind of you know transparency into into the process and
1: And that's where a lot of farms are going in this direction of technology. I think that that's been a common theme through so many of our episodes as well. It's like the the fish farming industry, there's that word again, but the fish farming industry is very receptive to and very open to advancement and technology and updates because Mm -hmm. everybody wants efficiencies in their business. And it just so happens that a lot of times, a lot of times these efficiencies align with a better product for the consumer, which is great because then it can make people feel more comfortable. But the glitch in the system is that those changes then need to be correctly communicated, which which brings us back to what you were originally saying, Corinne, in the beginning.
0: Boom. It's yep. all about it's, it's communication. The yeah. The whole industry is in a vacuum. We haven't talked about this in a while. The vacuum used to be a, yeah, a hot been a topic few on this show. But uh, we, we, we used to talk about the vacuum a lot, how everything in the industry happens in a vacuum. And we get together at these seafood shows and at go- the Goal Conference and other, you know, Ocean Summit, all these different things. And we talk about all these awesome things happening, all this brand new technology and innovations and traceability, you know, uh, blockchain and all this stuff that's, that's just so good. And the sustainability is just going through the roof and the bad apples are starting to fall off. And we celebrate it with each other and we pat ourselves on the back and then we go back to our Hotel rooms. Yeah. But no one outside of the seafood industry has any idea that any of that good stuff is happening because nobody talks about it outside of the industry. We just celebrate it with ourselves.
3: Enter today's farm fish. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I was
4: just about to say that's the perfect granted. segue. <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: I think that's a, I mean, that's it's almost
0: common... like I had notes about what you guys wanted to talk
4: about. <laughs> I think that's common with anything in academia you know like people are writing these papers publishing these papers and who else is reading them like other professors other students other people that are also referencing their papers um but it's not going out to the general public and it's not in a very uh easy to understand format um if someone from you know not that field is trying to access that information um do
0: you have any ideas on how we could how we could do that?
4: I have, I have a thought maybe. Yeah. Um, please, please go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking some sort of website that is, uh, <laughs> easy to understand, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing riddled with articles, information that are generally interesting, um, to the, the public, um, which and is also accessible, like easy accessible. to find and yeah, you don't easy to read. Some like, university code to get into this you know database <laughs> it's um farmfish.org. <laughs> and it exists already <laughs> it exists. yeah and, and we
2: have a link in it a link to it in our show notes Perfect. yeah and
4: yeah that was one of the main goals of this website was to bring um easily understood trust trustable that's not a word trustworthy trustworthy <laughs> <laughs> um information to consumers about farmed fish.
3: But Corinne, are these research articles thoroughly researched based on primary literature? Yeah, um, they are.
0: You mean they're not thoughts from people who saw a YouTube video and wrote something on Facebook? They're
3: not collections of (laughs) Twitter. (laughs) They are
4: not. Um, No, yeah. These articles, I went through many, many, many (laughs) academic articles, so many different sources, peer-reviewed, also read a lot of different websites from people all across the board in very many different sectors of the seafood industry, both farmed and wild to generate uh, credible information, but then translate it into yeah, science communication, easy to understand articles that aren't super boring. You read two sentences of an abstract and you're like,
3: tap out. If I can, at the moment, uh, just give Corinne some, some major props here. Um, apparently this was one of my first times, uh, working as a project, like, I guess managing, um, people on a project and apparently, uh, on university projects, you can, it's like a roll of a dice with, what kind of work ethic you the grad student that you happen to engage is, um, you know, what they could be a good one or a bad one. And Corinne has really. Like worked extremely hard. She does really good work. She's a very thorough researcher. She covers all of her bases. She does her due diligence. Um, She takes a lot of initiative. Like she's just, we've been really, really lucky that we, you know, kind of struck struck the big one with her. So. Anyone who's currently interviewing Corinne for fellowships, I highly recommend
0: <laughs> hire me for podcasts. Yeah. Put a link to this
2: episode in your resume. Yeah,
4: yeah. Could you uh, include my LinkedIn for anyone
3: that can hire someone? Yeah, we will sure. definitely include your LinkedIn. Okay.
0: If you're comfortable with it, we will. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
3: Um, so, you guys, can I actually blow your mind right now? Please. I've been
0: waiting for my mind to be blown. <laughs> so let's do it. Yes. Um, Very excited.
3: So we've mentioned, you know, uh, the heightened traceability and transparency is the seemingly, you know, end goal for to make seafood better, better again, a better place, blah, blah, blah. Um, word on the street, according to, um, you know, the Seattle focus groups that we did consumer, like people in general, Joe Public, not so like they don't need a QR code on every single fish scale. They don't care about that. What really resonates with them is, can I trust the people where my fish came from? Like they don't necessarily need the proof that you know, like they they don't need the tech, like they don't need blockchain proof that that's overkill. What they need is to just pick up a packet of fish in the eight seconds that they have in the grocery store with like a screaming toddler at five thirty. Um <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when going to grocery stores with a thing? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well, the focus groups were pre pandemic.
0: Um, I don't, I don't miss having a toddler yeah, in a grocery yeah. store. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs>
3: but you know, like people are just, they, they just want to look at a, a product and be able to trust the, where it came from. And they do want a connection to the people producing their food and they do want that to be a short supply chain um and they do conversely understand that the reality is that it's not a short, a short supply chain um but they still want this like warm glow out of it like you know they want to look at the picture and they want to see the happy cow and they want to know that the chickens were bathed in sunlight as they were laying the eggs. And they want to know that the fish <laughs> was like swimming in sparkling, pristine blue waters. And
0: <laughs> quote Quotes around the word no.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: In I some cases.
2: I think you can bring that down to <laughs> exactly. eco labels as, as well. So like you said, you give it that eight seconds or even less where you're, you, you have your shopping list. Hopefully seafood is on that list. But you grab a frozen bag of shrimp, uh, and you see something that represents a check something. mark or something that's. You look at a, a label and say, "I think this means something good." And mm-hmm. it depends. Are you the consumer that wants to dive a little deeper, and you have that option to type in a farm code or a QR code? You have that option in some cases. But to your point, yeah, that could be could be overkill to the general consumer who's just looking to say. I trust the place that I'm shopping, and this package is the double double check to me because I see there's something on the pack that I know that I can trust this, this seafood. And in the cart it goes, and on you go with the rest of your list.
3: Yeah, um, I mean from the from an industry, if I were working for a seafood company right now, my takeaway from the focus groups would be that we might be working too hard to like, we're almost like barking up the wrong tree. No, we're not barking up the wrong tree. We're just, we're working too hard to prove the thing to the people, um, about what they care about. Like it's simpler than what
1: we're making it out to be.
3: Yeah. I think, I think that we are doing ourselves across the industry a disservice by like nitpicking into, uh, you know, across several eco label standards. Um, there's so many auditing, like it just, it, it gets, so convoluted so quickly that, you know, we're all familiar with the, um, you know, the certification fatigue and like the eco label confusion, everything is like a shade of green and blue and round and squiggly waves. <laughs> and like, we, you know, we were, we were looking at, uh, like logo design, um, for the today's Farm fish. And I was like, no green, no blue, nothing wrong. like we need to really be distinguished from you know typing google images sustainable uh, seafood logos and it's just like uh, everything's oh, the same
2: i'm gonna so, do it right now lo and behold That's why aquademia's <laughs> logo has pink it's the only one in sustainable seafood that stands out because it's not blue
3: <laughs> i did
4: but
2: i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead no, it's it's true. Okay. That's true. That's why we made that decision. We did make it. Logo,
3: so it's
4: okay. <laughs> wow!
0: Oh my God! You're right. This is hilarious.
4: Yeah. There's a sun.
0: <laughs> this is so great. I, I I wish I could screenshot this. All of the different logos that all look exactly the same.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: fun. And I wonder
2: back. Just to backtrack just a second before we move on to another topic, I wonder if we and I'm going to use the industry word again are are going what we're considering. These extra steps or, or maybe muddying the water when we don't need to because we're always in defense mode and we're always trying to catch up and feel like we have to justify all these negative things that are out there where some industries that have been established and are well known within the family consumer that they, they don't have to go that extra distance. Like I wonder if we're I mean, if we could fast forward fifty years from now, if we would look at how the trajectory of everything we're doing kind of unfolds if, if right now that where we are in our timeline is starting to realize that we don't need to do as much of this anymore because we're we're starting to to move that needle and consumers are starting to understand they can trust
3: well i think what it's they're i don't know I the, the the main distinction that we learned throughout this project is that to really reach the consumer it's not a, a data proof issue it is an emotions based yeah like um a feeling yeah I mean you, well, basically well, in in like marketing terms it's it, it's brand repositioning, right we need to reposition mm-hmm. how aquaculture lands in the consumer's brain
0: yeah well, that's I, one thing I wanted to ask you is how do we bridge that gap right like how how can we actually get from the people that want to communicate with the consumers how do we get to them? how do we get to the consumers? Do we have to do it through retailers? Do You know, you create this this amazing resource website. It's
3: a great question. How do
0: we get the consumers to visit that website? That's the question. Yeah. Break out of that vacuum. Um, what what strategies are, are, are we taking for that?
3: We've done a lot of social media outreach. Yeah. A lot I, of mom uh, groups. Mom groups on Facebook, you
0: know. Oh, God.
3: Well, <laughs> mom essentially, mom so, we, so we, you know, identified our target audience. And then, mm-hmm. you know, us identified the attributes and the demographic, the demographics around that target audience. And we were like, where do those people hang out? You know, and they are um, moms, right? And so there are neighborhood moms on Facebook and they are, you know, um, uh 25 to 34 year old males who are at the gym and they're doing crossfit and they're really um into uh clean quality protein yeah on like a molecular level and so that's what's important to them and like where do they hang out in the digital space right Mm -hmm. um and
0: uh i laugh about the mom groups just because i i have three daughters all under the age of four and i've just I've spent many an hour in the middle of the night you know at 3 a.m scrolling through these mom mom <laughs> blogs and stuff trying to figure out why my daughter won't go to sleep so
4: <laughs> yeah um, I also think that re- reaching the consumer like they can read these articles that we've wrote about you know new sustainable practices and like what's really in fish feed and all of this stuff. but through managing the social media, especially on Twitter, um, and on Instagram actually, I've found that the types of posts that are getting the most like retweets and comments and likes and all of this are the posts about our section on the website that's the Meet Your Farmer section, where we um interviewed fish farmers uh across the country um that operate different types of farms. Like we interviewed uh American Unagi Yol. Um in on the east coast and we have some land-based fish farms in the midwest um we have uh offshore fish farm in hawaii and those posts hearing it from the actual person that is on the grounds uh caring for these fish culturing these fish um having a just you know general conversation with them hearing why they do what they do? Uh, cool, sustainable practices that their farm is doing has has been the most uh, engaged on Twitter that I think I have seen people, which is really cool. That's like
1: that's so cool. interesting. Yeah, it's just like getting that face behind the mystical fish farm that makes it so much more real, and it makes you want to trust it more. And I think that that's the case with. With really anything, not just fish farming. It's like if you can visualize the person or the process behind whatever it is, then you can feel a lot better about it. Like I, what comes to mind for me is like clothing creation and how there's all of this – like what's the word? Like all of this just like craziness about fast fashion and these factories where there are people that are working 20 hours a day with no breaks and – Then there are these like sustainable brands where, you know, the makers of them and they have like profiles on their website. And it's it seems so much more appealing to buy from somewhere like that where you can say, like, I know exactly the office that this was created Mm -hmm. in and I know the person behind it. So I think that moving in that direction and making it making fish farming more of a personal experience just makes sense.
4: Yeah, I, I also think that um, through these interviews, a lot of them have discussed about how they like where we can get their products and how we can get it. And some of it might be in the store, but a lot of it is ordering um, online, you know, having it shipped to your house, which I have found that many of the people that I talk to, um, I don't know, are under the assumption maybe that farmed fish isn't like really fresh or something, which is just kind of funny to me, which I had this realization actually last year, uh, early quarantine vibes where you have like nothing to do besides cook a really elaborate meal all day. And, uh, it was my mom's birthday. And I was like, I'm going to order you some trout from this fish farm, land-based fish farm, superior fresh in Wisconsin. And I ordered it on Monday. They processed the order on Tuesday and then Wednesday I like, made this trout feast for my mom and the fish was, you know, on, I don't know, dry ice or something, um, that it was not frozen, like came really fresh, really good. And it just is something that's, I think another reason so many people are maybe turned off. It's just like a miss information thing. But then realizing that this fish has just been grown, cultured, harvested and sent to you all in like a day is, kind of interesting where I don't know I think people are maybe under the assumption that you go to the grocery store and you buy some wild fish and it's like that did not just come out of Puget. Well that's what's funny two hours ago like
0: that's what's funny funny. is people are are very willing to accept like oh this came fresh from the ocean and it's the freshest fish ever like they just got it off the boat and some guy like (laughs) threw it in the back of his truck in a cooler and like (laughs) just drove at 95 miles an hour to your grocery store to put it in the case like (laughs) <laughs> the fi- all the fish is coming from somewhere. There's going to be a little bit of t- travel time. Yeah. Frozen fish. I-, I like to. I like to-, to present the argument that frozen fish a lot of times is fresher than the f- quote fresh fish that you would get in the case. You know, which yeah. a lot of times was previously frozen anyway. For
4: sure. So yeah. we we wrote uh, a whole article about that actually. Yeah. Um, it's a good point. But yeah, it just I don't know. that's a different funny. conversation.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, again though, Sean, it's that warm glow, right? Like we definitely yep. hold on to this like. Tisket a tasket. I'm gonna, you know, skip my farmer's market basket down to the docks and like <laughs> get my fish from the fisherman from his boat and la 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 and yeah. And you know, the wild fish industry has been like pretty good about promoting like that pristine messaging, which is great. Fine, good. It's food. a nice,
0: it's a nice gimme that they can embrace.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, but just along the same lines as the the land animal has been. Um, you know, done the job that they wanted to do promoting the happy cow, the, you know, it's just how can we as aquaculture advocates, you know, slide in there and, you know, and reposition with a, with a happy farmed fish image as well. Like what does happy farmed fish imagery look like and how can we start to like really spread and disseminate that? And how do people want to receive that information and what needs to erode before they can even be receptive to wanting to hear about
0: it need to find the romance there's a romance associated with the land-based farm there's a romance associated with wild caught fisheries where you go out on the water for weeks and you're you know you're working hard manual labor to catch these fish and facing the elements there's a romance in history behind that and aquaculture has been happening kind of in the shadows for so many years that that romance is not there people don't know what to think of I got a, so I got a the, romantic,
3: uh, antidote actually for farmed fish. I, uh, did, uh, my honeymoon in Sicily and we had a little bike tour and we actually made a little bike stop at, uh, it didn't look like much. It was like kind of a sea cave, but you could tell it was a long, long time, many centuries, ago, centuries ago, it was kind of like hacked into the rock as like a corral. It was like one of the ancient Roman first fish farm, like so, fish ranching. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty yeah. cool. I took a picture. It just looks like me beside a cliff. Doesn't doesn't look like much, but, <laughs> <laughs> that. but you know that, that sounds cool. It's been we forget, cooking and food is something cool. that we as humans have done for a long, long time. Yeah, not just hunting, gathering.
0: Exactly, and, and you know the, those stories can be told. You can find those. Those places I know when we were in uh, when we were in Ireland. Uh, what was that? 2018. We went to Ireland for goal. Seventeen. Is that what it was? Four Nine, years ago. Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. So we went to Ireland after goal. Uh, I took a bunch of time off and and I drove cross country to the west side and we went to uh, Kong, which is this tiny, tiny little village. I mean, like one one neighborhood, one road. Uh, and at the end of that road, there was a little like salmon hatchery, and there was no one working there, but I walked right by it and you see all the tanks that are in the ground and it's a, and it's a a, a tiny little, you know, probably a little family owned hatchery, like Kong salmon hatchery. And that would be a great story to tell. I'd love to go there and and do some filming and like, you know, talk to the people that are running that because clearly this is not a big time operation, but um, it's, it's, you know, it would be a cool story to tell. So like, those stories are there that just people don't think of it. People don't recognize it and they just focus on the negative. So, um, so what else, what else uh, is going on with the, um, the farmfish.com Uh Well,
3: I'd, I'd like to take an opportunity and just kind of present what the, the project, the scope of the project. And kind Yeah,
0: of, please do. We're, please we're, do.
3: We've been sort of talking about it. Like everyone already knows what it is <laughs> um, because our outline was so thorough that we sent to you. Um, Uh, okay. So we were stipulated by the, um, by the parameters of the grant to focus on only finfish. So there's no shellfish that we're focusing on. Okay. And, uh, and it had to be cultivated in the U S. Um, there's a, you know, as you know, aquaculture has been having quite the moment and a lot of, uh, conversation around why, Is the U.S. in like last place for developing this really lucrative industry and what could be something that would be really successful here, um, given our already very strong regulatory framework. And so, you know, that's why you don't see shellfish and that's why you don't really see um, highlighted positive examples of other awesome fish farms that are happening like um, Coba Blue. No, Cobia, Open Blue. Open Blue is a is an offshore fully submerged, um, Cobia farm in Panama mm. and their fish is so clean and so tasty and so white and succulent and flaky. It's amazing. So it, you know, it's, we kind of knew of these little, um, star players and we couldn't, we didn't quite have room for them in our scope. Yeah. Um,
0: I think we may have interviewed them in the very beginning of the show at, at the seafood show, yeah, open Cobia.
3: Yeah. Did you take their virtual, like their VR tour? At the at the seafood show,
0: uh, no, I don't remember doing that. They came to. I think they came. To, I think it was them. I th- I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think they came by and talked to us and brought us some samples that were just amazing.
3: smoked <laughs> nope. um, um. Anyway, if you ever get a chance to have their little VR goggle tour about, like you're in the submerged cages and like whale sharks are swimming by, it's oh, that's cool. talk about romanticizing aquaculture. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe the net. Maybe what's going to do that for us is like vr and like the whole like next step in in all this you know tech industry stuff that's yeah. not necessarily slap a barcode on a fish but put people like we said in we're the, environment. the
0: industry is open to innovation so
3: yeah um okay so so uh so we wrote a project to build and launch and monitor a pr campaign that would promote the positive examples of fin fish that were farmed in the u.s and so uh, we basically had to find positive examples of fin fish in the U S. Um, and admittedly, uh, this, the, how I selected these fin fish farmers, purely opportunistic. Like I reached out to a handful of industry contacts that I knew were, um, uh, th- that I trusted, you know, their opinion to refer me to some of like the, the ultra responsible, you know, players. And, um, Uh, and that's basically what ended up in our, or resulted in our like six or seven sort of industry partners that are featured on our website. And it went through, you know, me conversing with them about their practices and learning their stories. And, um, we, you know, did an interview with them to feature them on our website. Uh, part of their contribution, uh, to the project was to, you know, supply the photos and, you know the The time to answer any questions, be a part of the interview process, um, supply the logos, blah blah blah. Um, and uh, one thing I do kind of want to touch on is a lot of um, a lot of these players are are pretty boutiquey, right? Like it's just a smaller scale operation um, that you would never you you don't find them in like in Kroger or Costco yet. You know, they, they might be trying to scale up to get there, but you know, there still is this dichotomy between the volume based commodity supply chain that we operate in to feed the masses and you know, how to responsibly produce food. And so, and, and as much of a, a gap that exists still uh, there, you know, there's companies like Corinne mentioned, Superior Fresh. They're in Wisconsin. They are not small. Um, they are producing thousands of tons of Atlantic salmon and steelhead trout. Um, they're effluent water. They're using to grow hydroponic leaf lettuces and spinaches, like all like to market, you know, like they're, they're an operation that's up and going. And so I, I think that As one of the primary objectives of this project was to be like the platform that connected farmers directly and enabled them to to use their own voice, to tell their own story, to really highlight their practices, like, you know, to the people, Um, you know, as, as people start to like shift a little bit and when they think of aquaculture, they think of the cool like, you know, oh, you're you're farming salmon indoors in a tank and you're using the wastewater to grow organic spinach. Like, that's cool. That's fish I would eat. Uh, that slowly, as that starts to replace the, you know, dirty brackish water pond imagery, you know, the, the overall consumer demand starts to shift a little bit. And then we as an industry don't have to try so hard to slap a barcode on every fish just to, like, prove our due diligence. Um, we can just, you know, work more with, just the straight up marketing image based, you know, feelings driven, people make purchase decisions based on emotions, like that sort of thing is, is where we should really be focusing. Oh, I did want to mention earlier, we were talking about, um, no, I, it just it just left me. It'll come back.
0: No worries, um, we're, we're actually, getting close to an hour here so <laughs> this conversation really the the time really flew by um so before we wrap things up is is there anything else that you guys want to try and get out there while you have the platform
4: this was just a thought i was having i have this a lot i think that the cool thing with this website and then also being in the position that i am is that they and also sort of similar to what jess was just saying uh getting the message out like once this content is developed and a few people are reading it and they're learning about this and they're becoming, you know, more warmed up to eating farmed fish. It hopefully will be this snowball effect of, uh, information, which I've seen just like small snippets of it. You know, like we released this website and I have this big group text with my whole extended family on my mom's side, which is like 12,000 people. And they're like, hey, I was trying to get some fish today, like, is this good? And they'll ask me a question or like, which farm should I buy from if I'm wanting to order trout? And I'll like, look up some farms near them, tell them, you know, and that snowballs. And like, my sister will text me and be like, hey, my friend was wondering this about aquaculture. And then she tells her friends and it just seems like, I don't know, it's a cool place to be in and see people actually being perceptive to what we're saying and then willing to also go and spread the message, which yeah hopefully it just like keeps on happening
0: yeah it, it's cool because what that tells you is that people do want to know like yeah you know we we can look at all of these these studies and and social experiments of surveys and and they they can tell us that yes consumers want to learn this about their food but like that's the stuff that tells you you know when when you have friends texting you saying hey i want to buy trout where should i buy it from mm-hmm. that tells you that people in the real world genuinely do want to know, you know, when I, I I hate to bring it up, but when, when, with Seaspiracy out right now, I, I, every maybe once a week or so now I'm getting texts from some of my friends who know me as the seafood guy and they text me and they say, Hey, uh, I watched this. It's, it's pretty messed up. Uh, can, can you give me any real facts because I can always count on you to kind of like, you know, clear things up for me. And I have a couple articles that that I share with them on social media and stuff. And uh, that's the the stuff that's kind of cool, like that y- you can tell that people really do want to know the correct information about, about seafood, which is pretty nice, pretty refreshing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes me feel like we're doing something right. Justin and Maddie, do you guys have anything else? Jesse, you got something you wanted to say? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I like, I feel like I got to get out like the, the full, like the actual scope of the project so that people know. Please do. Um, I know. God, I'm so sorry. Uh, so in the spring of 2019, we conducted five focus groups to essentially identify the pain points that were most resonant to Seattle consumers, which is who we defined as our primary audience. Then over the summer, we used the focus group data to um, generate like meat and fish preferences, uh, or, or I guess survey questions about meat and fish preferences. Um, we then spent the summer in farmers markets and seven farmers markets across Seattle. We collected about 900 usable surveys on Seattle's meat and fish preferences, and you know, kind of the attributes about you know, well, would you want the frozen um, uh, sustainably certified chicken breast, or would you want the, you know, fresh, like wild caught, um, but not local, you know, red snapper or something like that. And just, there was a lot of, um, very academic ways to sort of tease out and basically rank those preferences. Um, we also did some AB testing for imagery. Like, you know, we showed a picture of like some friendly fishermen and then showed a picture of you know like a happy fish jumping out of a pond and you know kind of asked people to put their favorite down and so we used all of that data over the summer and spring to form uh and and inform our you know our branding our imagery our our logo design the look and feel of our website um, you know, the persuasiveness, yeah, the persuasion in our article topics and just really cultivating the content to what was going to, you know, uh, really neutralize like that trigger point for the Seattle consumer, which is you. So, you know, again, the idea of this campaign was sort of to serve as a kind of a, a pilot campaign so that we could have some, uh, you know, some metrics around how Seattle, you know, beginning and start and end for the Seattle group, but then, um, you know, uh, basically show them, um, sorry, basically demonstrate proof of concept, uh, for our campaign in Seattle and then you know, like I said before, you could scale up or you could just move it across you know, redefine your target demographics and find out what's important to the Chicago audience or you know, get however myopic that you would want to really cultivate specific messaging. Which honestly, because it's aquaculture and because it's so, you know, that visceral, guttural, like emotions driven response, it could be super different. Like, you know, like we didn't hear about, you know, uh American jobs or Um, or like nutrition wasn't really like, that was like a distant third. Like what's important to Seattle is environment, um, impacts of the environment for the wild fish populations and, um, connecting with the people about their food. Like they didn't care about jobs. They didn't care about, you know, like it. And so I, I wonder if that would be different in like, yeah,
0: if you did this similar practice somewhere in like the American South or, or in, in our region, like up in Boston, they would probably be. a a much heavier lean towards wild caught fisheries up here in Boston than there would aquaculture. So that's interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So um, essentially, so we've, we've been live, you know, the website's been live since June, last June, 2020. And um, we've been, uh, every quarter we get a report from our digital strategist about, you know, the analytics and the traffic and the social media performance, blah, blah, blah. We do some recommendation or we, what, execute her recommendations um and uh to sort of you know to expand our reach and to you know get a a more authoritative footprint on on the internet and um uh, and the last digital report will be this upcoming july which will be one full year of performance data um and then the goal is to you know wrap it up say we you know this is this is our proof of concept. This is how it worked. The website's still alive and, uh, you know, it, it could, it could live on, um, or it could sort of slowly, you know, slowly cease to exist. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to see this project develop as, as well is that, um, this seems to be, we've been talking this whole hour, Um, this seems to be, I mean, this is, this is an industry wide problem. And like we said, the industry is super fragmented. There's a bunch of species, there's farmed and wild, there's blah, blah, blah. Um, no one company is going to be willing to really like take, you know, pony up the money, right. To, to spend on a huge PR campaign, which is, I believe what's necessary to sort of launch us into this next headspace in the minds of the consumer. Um, and so, you know, being able to have demonstrated a proof of concept um, that is, in essence, the PR campaign, um, you know, architecture that we may or may not need to move forward. I'm, I'm hoping after the year wraps up with data, I'm hoping to take it to like CPACT or, um, you know, present it at Boston and just, you know, say, Dear industry, if there's any groups, you know, maybe even NFI. Yeah. Maybe here's a, proof, here's
0: a proof of concept.
3: Yeah, let's, you know, let's make
0: this happen on a larger scale. Yeah.
3: Basically, or just you know, we can maybe um you know form some industry wide committees on like maybe we do uh, break it into different regions and we spend you know a hundred thousand dollars in each region doing the focus groups again or just you know something like that or we just take lessons learned and
0: see what we can do next.
3: And see what we can do next. Yeah, but. But yeah, that's so that that's kind of been the the end goal of of the project, proof of concept, pilot campaign, see if we can really actually change people's minds, and if we can do it in Seattle.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be a huge accomplishment to see. Yeah, I'm really in excited
0: Seattle. to see kind of those fi- those final data points on what you what you found and what changes you were able to make. That's going to be really interesting. I'm yeah. Excited. Pretty cool. Yeah,
1: maybe we can have you back on after your final report comes out, and we can get like. A, yeah. an update on where you maybe guys can, are. And...
0: Maybe we can do like a live stream or something, something a little more interactive mm. where people can ask questions. About oh, yeah, it yeah. Like, that's that's yeah. That'd be
3: fun. That'd be cool.
0: yeah. Justin, you got anything? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to, I mean, you edited out Justin's my answer just anyways. Justin's
3: taking it in today. <laughs> You're like, nope, I'm going to go to lay down with my dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, Justin. I'm so jealous. <laughs>
0: I'm jealous. We got here.
3: the second shot yesterday. I'm not having, great.
0: Oh, I'm having a great, yeah. time. I got the J and J. I felt great for about 12 hours and then felt like I got hit by a truck. Dang. For
3: another really? 12
0: hours. Yeah. I My wife got a, time. got a fever and yeah, it wasn't, wasn't pleasant, but, Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of many tunnels that we're talking about today. So I'm really, yeah, I, yeah, I, this was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really excited for our listeners to hear it. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us today.
3: Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. This is great.
0: So if any of our listeners want to reach out or
2: have any questions for either one of you, what are you, what's the best way that they can contact you?
4: Um, yeah, the, the email on the website at the bottom, there's a contact form um, where it'll just filter into our email and we can answer any questions that people have
2: perfect one that thing sounds... we
4: didn't
3: really get to do but i'm always really uh passionate to talk about is how we selected our target audience demographics and how that all came to light and like therefore who we tried to market it to um to produce all these results so that's we do you have an
0: article that. telling that story that would be an interesting article to have on the website itself that's
3: yeah. a good point we don't
0: well, we'll make sure that we link to the website uh, in our show notes and, and all the other resources that we talked about today. Yeah. And uh, I strongly encourage all of our listeners to go check out the website and share it with your audiences because that's how we're going to spread the word. Everybody today's
3: farmed fish. Know,
0: tell your friends today's farmed fish. Get on it. Check it out. Thank you so much for joining us again. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Jess and Corinne, and like Maddie said, we're definitely going to have to have you on again in the future to talk about kind of the final results of this campaign and how we're feeling at the end of everything. So. We
4: would love that. Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Folks, that was our conversation with Jess and Corinne from Today's Farm Fish. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I had a blast during this conversation. It was super interesting, and it's a topic that I love to talk about, so I had a, I really enjoyed this a lot. So remember, if you're not subscribed to Aquademia, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you get on that. Click that little purple button in Apple Podcasts so you can get every new episode downloaded directly to your device as soon as it's released and you can listen to it whenever you want.
2: Follow us on social at Pod. Two ways you can contact us. One, visit our website, AquacultureAlliance.org. Scroll halfway down to the Aquademia section and there is a Contact Us button. Or send us an email, podcast at AquacultureAlliance.org.
1: And as always, here is your reminder to rate and review us on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on.
0: That's right. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao.
1: Bye.